2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 14. This is the word of the Lord. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elisha said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew drew near to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and he struck the water saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other. And Elisha went over. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the ability that we can come here and corporately worship you, God. Thank you for the opportunity to sing your praises, to listen to the word preached, to hear your word. God, I just pray, just be with me as I deliver your passage, Lord. Be with Pastor Travis and bring him back safely from his travels, Lord. Be with him as he also delivers your message to a church other than his own, Lord. I want to pray for that congregation. May they be blessed by the preaching of the word, Lord, and may you stir up the hearts in their church and also in ours that we will be good people and respond well to your Lord, to, to your word. And in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, you may take a seat. Have you ever had a, a terrible boss? How about a terrible coworker? Dennis chuckles. <laughs> Have you ever maybe, we're, we're counting down the days, you knew, you knew they were leaving, but counting down the days, you couldn't just wait till they were no longer at that place. Do you miss them when they're gone? Do you, do you wish that they would return and be your boss again or be your coworker again? Odds are you, you probably secretly rejoice that the Lord providentially removed them 
from that situation. Maybe put them in some, somewhere else. Well, what about the opposite? Have you ever had a, a, a wonderful boss? A, a wonderful coworker, A wonderful friend? Maybe a great leader, uh, a great pastor, um, a great mentor. If that person was suddenly gone, how might that impact your life? How much more impactful is it when someone is leaving when you're going through maybe a trying or a difficult season? To put this into perspective for you, this context of this passage here is written during a time when Israel is facing spiritual difficulties. This is a time of of strong, Baal-influenced regime. And false prophets are, are penetrating the land and they're constantly creating division and preaching falsely and trying to, trying to get the, the nation of Israel to worship a different God. And there's a, a spiritual battle between true and false prophecy. True prophets are, are those who are inspired by God to speak God's exact words and to remain faithful and consistent to the covenants that God has promised before. Right? Prophets are also chosen by God to communicate His message to the people. Oftentimes, in Scripture, you see this pattern of if a, a prophet would call the people to repent, and then they would usually prophesize a, a judgment if they don't repent. And if they're a true prophet, what happens is they don't repent, this judgment comes, and we see the judgment of the Lord fall on these people. In Deuteronomy 18.22, it warns us, and I'll read here, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Take us back here just a little bit. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we read about a promised seed. One who will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. But as timeline progresses throughout history, we seem... There seem to be more wicked kings than good kings. In in, in Sunday school this morning, Jason talked a little bit about this. um, But in the book of Judges, in the books of 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Kings is originally written not as two two separate books, but as typically one book. So we see a pattern of 1 and 2 Kings, of this history of God appointing kings to rule the nation. And these kings, we constantly are reading that these kings did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And similarly to the book of Judges, though we don't necessarily have kings, we see a pattern of a a prophet being appointed, a a prophet prophesying judgment, where this is where we get the the name judges from, a prophet prophesying judgment unless they repent, the people not repenting, we see judgment, and then a new ruler. And this pattern continues on and on and on if you read through the book of Judges. And similarly, the book of Kings, just but with, with kings. And so the book of Kings, it shows us a long line of kings that have come after King David. And God promised through David that through his line, a messianic king would, would come and fulfill the, the promises promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. And David, before he dies... He kind of passes off his, his reign and he charges King Solomon to remain faithful to the covenant and to give God or to give allegiance only to the one true God. Now, if we know much about our Bibles, we know that Solomon, though he was a wise king, he was not a very good king. 
He, Solomon, he starts off by honoring the Lord, and he, and he builds a temple. But then what he, what he does is then he begins marrying daughters of different kings for political allegiances. And what Solomon does is he turns his heart away from God, and he starts to turn it to his material wealth. And Solomon, he, he eventually goes on to break nearly every law given by God to kings back in, Je- in Deuteronomy 17. And because of his strong alliances, he obtains a massive amount of wealth. But like I said, he's begun to break these covenantal promises sworn. And we have this pattern after Solomon, again, of, of these kings being appointed and leading poorly. Being appointed and doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I say this because I want to fast forward now. And so, so we finally get to the life of Elijah. Right? And because of these kings' poor leadership, the role of prophets was created to hold the king accountable. And thus, you hold the king accountable, you also can hold the nation accountable to God. So God, he appoints Elijah. And he appoints Elijah to be the spiritual leader for the Israelites. Elijah has been the true defense system of Israel. And commentators, they, they put it, say, quote, to have Elijah was like having the army of God. See, Elijah, he's proven himself to be a true prophet. For example, some things that he does, he predicts a drought. And we see his great power in 1 Kings 17. We, we read about Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, where God's power is displayed when Two bulls are offered up as a sacrifice. And God consumes the fire, Elijah's bull, and the, and the other prophets get mocked because their God is, what Elijah says, sleeping. Right? Let's, let's read this for, for a second because this is really, really good. So uh, flip to, your, to the left a little bit to go to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. I want to read verses 16 through 40. 16 through 40. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord, and you followed Baal's. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 of prophets of Baal, and 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to, the people of, of, sent to all the people of Israel, and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. 
Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. They took the bull that was given, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a jersey, or perhaps journey, or perhaps he's asleep, and he must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves, and after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench out about the, law, about the altar as great as as great as wood contained two says of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And as the water ran down the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering in the wood and the stones in the dust and licked up the, uh, licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. This passage is almost like two boys fighting on a playground. My dad's bigger than your dad. No, my dad's bigger than your dad. My dad can beat up your dad. But Elijah, he tells him, he goes, Go get your prophets. He goes, All of them. And he says, it is I, I only. Go get all of your prophets. Select the cow, the perfect cow. So he gathers them all. And he points out that it is all of them against, and and their God against him and the one true God. And in this passage, we see God using Elijah to demonstrate his power and appointed him as a prophet to lead and to guide his people. And God, he uses Elijah to show the people that he is more powerful than the false god Baal that they've been bowing down and worshiping. And it's, and it's easy for us to, to read this passage centuries later and, see, and think, well, Elijah is just a foreshadowing of the ultimate prophet to come. But if you think back here for a moment, if you were in this time span, if you're an Israelite living around 80, 870 to 840 BC, you know the promise of, of the king to come through the line of David. You, you know what the Lord demands of a king from Deuteronomy 17. And now you have Elijah doing all these miracles, defeating the prophets of a false god. And no doubt you start to ask, or you start to think, well, surely Elijah must be the promised Messiah. So, 
finally, this is all back history here till we get to this passage. And, and I want to take a closer look at this and see a little bit of just Elijah's faithfulness in the, in the wickedness of King Ahab. So typically, I'll, I will have sermon points for you, but instead of, of sermon points, I'm going to share three, mir- we're going to look at three miracles found within this passage. And these three miracles are going to point us towards a promise. And, and this promise could be the sermon point of the day, if, if you will. And this promise here that we read, this promise is, is a promise that God gave to Israel then, but it's a promise that we see fulfilled in Jesus, and we see the promise continued through and because of Jesus. So the promise that we can look at here from these three miracles is God provides, and he is never changing. God provides, and he is never changing. From the opening of Genesis, we see a tiny fraction, an iota of God's character. After God created the entire world, he told Adam that everything he sees, the animals, the plants, the, the, the food, everything, is given to him and is given for him to eat. And the only thing that God commands is to not eat of the garden of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What does Adam do? He does the very same thing that God tells him not to do, right? After Adam rebels against God he immediately feels shame because of his nakedness. And what the Lord does, the Lord provided for Adam then, and he provided for them by, he, by clothing them and giving them garments. Right? And Pharaoh, when, when Pharaoh held God's people in slavery, the Lord used Moses and he sent ten plagues and had his people delivered and provided for them in the desert. Right? So in this passage here this morning, it's interesting to note that it is Elijah, the one who is about to be taken away, seems to not know what the Lord is about to do until it happens. So let's flip back over to Second Kings chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 for us. And this will be the first... This will not be the first miracle. <laughs> so 2, 1 through 6. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind... Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elijah, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elijah said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep it quiet. Elijah said to him, Elijah, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elijah, drew near to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your mask from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep it quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. See, Elijah knows that Elisha will eventually take his place. See, the Lord, he told Elijah back in 1 Kings chapter 19 that Elisha would be the next prophet. How the Lord causes this transition remains a mystery up until this, until this event unfolds in history. And it is the prophets that have come from Bethel that confirm what the Lord is about to do. 
Elijah, three times he asks Elijah to stay with him while he travels. And, and every time Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And these, these 50 other men, these 50 other prophets, they're here to bear witness to, um, to miracles that are about to occur. And because we know the story of the Bible, we can see how the Lord is providentially showing how he will continue to provide for his people. Right? So j- just imagine here for a moment, um, imagine that, that Ben and I go out to sushi. We go out on Tuesday at 6.30 p.m., Right? We, we, we do the due diligence of letting our wives know that we got there safely, everything's good, we're going to eat, we're having a good time, and then, and then we're going to come back home. Right? All of a sudden, my phone rings in the next morning, and it's Jesse calling me. Why Jesse would call me, I have no idea. So I answer it, and she's freaking out. She's in a panic. I'm like, Jesse, what's going on? And she says, Anthony, I haven't heard from Ben. Have you seen him? Jesse, he, he, he vanished. Like, like the rapture happened. He was the only one taken. I don't know where he went. So in a disarray, imagine I come up here on Sunday morning. And Ben's still not here. He's still missing. And I am wearing Ben's Marine Corps tie clip. Yeah. See where I'm going here? Jason, oh, he's not here. I can't pick on him. Jason being, being the, the ex-cop that he is, Calls up some detective buddies he knows. Next thing you know, I'm being handcuffed for suspicion of murder and kidnapping. Right. So, it's, so going back to our story here, these, these 50 men, God providentially made sure that they were, bear, they were here to bear witness to what the Lord is about to do. Right. And it's, what's fascinating is this trip from Gilgal to Bethel to Jordan... Commentary suggests that this actually retraces the first movements Israel made into the promised land. Right? God is about to use Elijah and Elijah to recreate miracles to remind the people of God's care and God's provision for them. Right? So let's take a look at this first miracle in verses 7 through 10. We read, 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. And as they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on a dry land. This miracle should sound very familiar to us. Especially as a kid growing up in Sunday school, I'd imagine you'd probably hear about this miracle. But this is not the first time that, right in 1 Kings, or 2 Kings, this is not the first time that we see the Lord causing water to part and dry land to form and people walking across it. Right? For the Israelites, this has happened before, and it will happen again. The first time that we see of the, of the water parting is the Lord using Moses to allow Pharaoh to let the Israelites be free from captivity. And similar to this passage, it was Moses who took a staff and he put it in the water and the water was parted and the ground was dried so that they can walk. Right? The, 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 the ground, once saturated with water, is dry and they're able to bring their luggage and, and things over. And Elijah, and Elijah, after making it across the water, Elijah asks for a blessing. He asks for a blessing and he says to, to Elijah, he wants a double portion of your spirit. And the double portion of his spirit in verse 9 typically 
is used in terms to refer to one's birthright or the inheritance that one is, to, is supposed to be given for the oldest son. And, and his response is interesting. He says, he tells Elijah that if he sees him being taken up from him, he will get the blessing. But if he doesn't, he won't get the blessing. Now, I don't want to jump too far ahead because we'll get there eventually, but if we read further into the life of Elijah and we see all the, all the miracles that, that, the, that the Lord performed through him, Elijah desired to have the spiritual strength and the responsibility that he knew that he would one day have from God. Right? Elisha has seen the miracles that Elijah has performed, and he wants to be used in the same manner that God used him. And it's, the Bible records 14 miracles that the Lord performed through Elijah, while the Bible records 28, which is twice as many miracles that Elisha performed. See, God was faithful to provide his people with a faithful prophet. And he, was continue, and, he, and he continued to provide and to continue to fulfill his promise even after Elisha was taken by appointing Elisha. Let's look at the second miracle. So 11 through, through 12. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Right? And then, then we read, Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. So as they, they're continuing on through their journey, the Lord, and so suddenly the Lord... Be, brings forth a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and in a whirlwind, Elisha is taken. And Elijah proclaims, my father, my father. And what that is, that's in respect to his prophetic power. Paul House, his commentary says, without warning, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appear, which whisk Elijah to the heavens in a storm. As a way of sharing or showing his grief at his mentor's departure, Elisha calls Elijah his father and dubs him the chariots and horses of Israel, which probably means Elijah's prophetic powers and spiritual depth are the nation's true strength. Israel's king will use the same formula when Elijah dies and makes a cross-reverence to 2 Kings. Right. So it's interesting that the fire that was used to prove that God is, is more powerful than Baal is the same fire that is showing that Elijah is being a true and a powerful prophet. Let's take a quick look at the, at the last miracle, and then we're going to kind of connect the dots here and see how God provides and, is, and how he is never changing. So verses 13 through 14, we read, And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. So Elijah, he picks up the cloak that Elisha, picks up the cloak that Elijah had, and he goes back to the bank of the Jordan where the 50 prophets were probably watching. And, and he takes the cloak and he asks where the Lord is. 
So Elijah, he's seen these miracles performed, and he's, he's predicted the drought, he's seen fire from the sky, and he, and he has seen Elijah raise the son of Zerbath, the widow, in, in 1 Kings 17. He has seen the power that the Lord has, or seen, seen the power of the Lord done through Elijah. And what happens is, is a miraculous thing, is that when Elisha takes the cloak and he strikes the water with it, the same power that Elijah had now seems to rest upon Elisha. And it's not... It's important to note that it is not the cloak that has the power, but rather it is God revealing himself through the use of miracles. See, and, and the prophets, they, they respond in, in, in the next verse that we see in 15, that when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. It is not Elijah that ought to be worshipped, it is not Elisha that should be worshipped, but rather it is the one true and living God that should be worshipped. Imagine what the prophets must have been thinking when they realized that Elijah, who they probably believed to be the messianic king, is, is no longer with them. But then God demonstrates to them that it is not the miracles or it is not the one performing the miracles that they should be worshipping, but rather the one who is causing the miracles to happen. Right, the prophets were given to, to hold the king accountable to point the king and the nation up towards God. So today, we, we ought not to be enumerated by the work that is being done, but we have to look towards the one who is giving Elijah and Elisha that power. So what does that mean today? Right? I, I think if we start to ask ourselves some questions, do you believe that God is still in control and do you believe that he is still working miracles today? And if you're a Christian here, you know that this promise rings true to you because it is the Lord who has turned your stony heart into a flesh one. Right? The Lord is constantly saving people and he's growing his church. I mean, look, and we, and we can read about the similarities of Elisha's succession of Elijah and Joshua's succession of Moses in Numbers 27 and 1 Kings 19. But this text, this text just stresses the continuity of God's message and God's messengers. And we will look at this reverse tracing of Joshua's itinerary, and it serves as a reminder that the foot of the promised land belongs to God. Right? And it is under the authority of God alone. To God, he did not leave his people without a prophet. Moses, Moses, Joshua, Elisha, Elijah, these men were just fulfillments of God's promise to not leave, leave his nation without a prophet. Right? Leaders come and go. Servants come and go. Friends and family come and go. But God is steady. Right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promise has not returned void and his promise will never return void. See, God, he fulfilled his, his promise to send a messianic king by sending Jesus, his son, to be the final prophet. In fact, the, the perfect prophet, the perfect king, the perfect priest. The Old Testament, we look at prophets as being deemed the mouthpiece of God. We, we read things like prophets saying, thus saith the Lord. But prophets would, would speak warnings against their, king, or their, their sin, the nation's sin, and they would call them to repentance, and it was God who would use prophets to, pr to pronounce forgiveness, and it was God who would use prophets to, 
declare his forgiveness and his pardon over their sins. But we look now and we see something better. We have God in human form. Christ did not just come to proclaim the word of God. Rather, he is the word of God. Right? And, and as the word of God, he came into the world to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is what the reformers meant when they would shout cries of affirmation, declaring solus Christus, right? Christ alone. It is not the, the church that saves us. It, it is not the, the, the work that saves us. But rather, it is Christ's work on the cross that saves us. That perfect sacrifice. It is no longer bulls and cows and goats and lambs that, that get offered, but rather it is the perfect lamb who has been Crucified on the cross for our sins. We look at this passage and we can read that God's power, or we know that God's power is not just tied to a specific region. It's not tied to a specific person or a specific era. God is just as powerful today as he was when Moses parted the Red Sea. And he's just as powerful today when Joshua parted the Jordan water. And he's just as powerful today as when Elisha parted the water. God, he provides for us, or he provided for similar for Israel in a similar manner that he provides for us today. He gave us his son to be the perfect sacrifice. He has given us his Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us. He's given us his church, the bride, to come together in community to encourage us. He's given us his word, complete, perfect, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. So, if you're a believer here this morning, you can have confidence that the God who provided for Adam, the God who provided for Moses and David and Israel and the Israelites, is the same God who provides for us now, today. We can look at the promises of what God did in the Old Testament and know that the promises given to His children and His promise to care for, to provide for them, still ring true in the 21st century. Praise the Lord. And if you come here this morning, and if you are not a believer, the Lord is still providing for you too. But what he's doing, this is a provision that we like to call common grace. Right? And whether you acknowledge it or not, right now, at this immediate of the moment, the Lord is actively giving you breath and life. God is giving you mercy and he's showing you mercy even though you're not part of his covenantal family. And these promises that we read uh, through, the, through the covenant, these covenantal promises can belong to you too though. Right? If, you, if you come humbly, if you submit to the Lord as king, you come to his cross and you ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. You ask the Lord to save your soul. You ask the Lord to rule and reign in your life. See, Sunday morning coming to church, and we talked about this a little bit, but Sunday morning ought to seem strange to you if you are an unbeliever. Right? What in the world are these people doing, singing and praying? And... But we don't come here because it's strange and foreign to us. We come here to show the Lord honor and reverence and homage. We come here to give Him the glory for who He is, for what he has sent his son to do and what he continues to do. 
Right? And we talked also this morning we, that we have a joy and we have a blessing when we get to gather together in corporate worship to pray, to sing His Word, to listen to the preaching of God's Word, to fellowship with one another. Right? There is a joy that believers get to do each and every Sunday morning. So I urge you to come and to be a part of this family that the Lord adopts us into. Right? Share alongside us the future hope of heaven that Colossians 1 verse 5 reminds us of. Right? Share with us the future hope and the eternal promise to one day worship the one true and living God forever and ever. Right. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the stay that you've given us, God. Lord, may we have changed hearts about what worship is, God. May, may we be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us on the cross, God, and, and respond to that with reverence and awe and homage, Lord, and gladness and joy. May we be a people who love your word, who love your people, and are reminded of your promises to provide. Lord, thank you for being the perfect king, who rules and reigns now, Lord. Thank you for being the perfect prophet who has come to not only remind us of our sin, but, Lord, to pardon us from our sin. God, thank you for being the perfect priest to help guide us and aid us, to call us to repentance, Lord. Thank you for this day that you've given us, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen.